0: I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right. I'm gonna do the intro. I'm gonna do it. Gonna All right. Gonna do <gasps> Here I go.
1: <gasps> I forgot that my I had to do the intro too. I'm ready.
0: What's up, bitches? This is Sierra. And what's up, bitches? This is Morgan.
1: And this is is Bitches bitches and Murders. murders. Yikes. (laughs) I just heard Finn be like, in the background. (laughs) She had to get her say in. Yeah. (laughs) And she was like, and I'm Finn. And I'm Finn. (laughs) And Uh... I'm not helping. I am the antagonist of the story. (laughs) She's
0: currently trying to attack my foot. So I'm going to just not move my feet.
1: Yeah, she's decided that she can curl up in the nightstand and eat my toes as they move, because <laughs> she knows I'm a jiggly bitch and I won't be able to stop myself from tapping. Oh no, I'm scared. Uh, point of clarification: Finna's our psychotic cat. <laughs> yeah, she's
0: a she's a head case. She really she, is. Oh my god. Uh, try to think if there's any like housekeeping.
1: Um, I guess just like a part my sniffles. Um, <laughs> that's one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess just like a
0: a thank you again for being so patient and, you know, like waiting for us to do the things. Um, Morgan had surgery, so we've been waiting for her to feel better. Oh, yeah, dog. I've I've been a mess. Uh,
1: (laughs) It was a whole ass mess.
0: My grandpa passed away, so I had to deal with that. Um, But we're back.
1: And better than ever. I wouldn't go that far. I don't know if I would go that (laughs) far either. But we're back. God damn it, we're cute (laughs) after I take a shower and shave my legs. Anyways, so today we are bringing you the much-awaited part two of the Stanford Prison Experiment, and you get to hear me talk about a lot of dense science stuff.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be like five hours of Morgan just dragging Dr. Zimbardo. It really is. It like honestly is. It'll be fine. But before she does that, we're going to do a brief recap because, you know, we covered a lot in that episode and it was also like three episodes ago. <laughs> so brief recap. Uh, so the Stanford Prison Experiment was, I mean, exactly what it sounds like. It was at Stanford and they were looking to kind of study the psychology of, you know, the relationship between guards and prisoners. Um Zimbardo was trying to see if a lot of the abuse that was being reported in American prisons was um, situational or dispositional, which is basically just like, were these normal people that were put into a bad situation and then adapted to that based on their environment? Or was it dispositional where like these people were already a little, you know, fucked in the head and then sought out a uh, position of power based on that and then abused the shit out of that? Um, I thought I had to sneeze. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so there was um 24 people in the study. There was only nine prisoners and nine guards at a time. Uh, The other people in the study were just kind of backups in case like a prisoner had to drop out or a guard had to drop out or if they needed backup. <sighs> so <laughs> trying to like not make this another whole hour and a half.
1: Yeah, watch the other one if you want the full 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 hour and a half. Yeah. But uh highlights. Bad Hi- shit happened. Highlight reel. Uh it was a disaster.
0: Uh shit hit the fan about 5 minutes into the experiment. It was supposed to last 2 weeks. It only lasted 6 days. Uh and there was a lot of abuse and psychological issues that happened. Um the guards got a little out of hand and were you know abusing the quote unquote inmates. the inmates were having whole ass mental breakdowns.
1: yeah, so big abuse of power we'll get into that um, yeah. big uh, abuse of power included by like the people who are running it, uh, yeah. which we'll also get into. Um, so to like start this off now that we've kind of like recapped um I have four scientific articles in front of me. Um and they all kind of come at this study from like a different viewpoint um which I thought kind of like with like looking at everything that was kind of like available like all the literature and stuff like there is a lot of viewpoints on it so I figured kind of like coming at it from like a couple of different like points would be good. Mm-hmm. So for like a brief kind of table of contents <laughs> before we <laughs> get on this wild ride um the first thing i'm going to talk about is actually the original presentation um this was done by like Phillips and bardo craig haney mm-hmm. all of them afterwards like this was how they presented the study like results to people afterwards so i have the original presentation including all of the pictures the sounds like everything they included the script that they followed um because they actually recorded this as well, so it could be presented like without them there. There's like essentially a slideshow and like a tape that you would record that would play all the sounds, like read the script mm-hmm. and everything. So this is like word for word exactly the presentation you would have seen if you were back in the day. Um, after that, back in the day, bitch, this was like the seventies. Well, I mean that was still fucking literally fifty years ago, which is just wild to think about. I hate it. Cool. Thanks for that existential crisis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um. Then. Um. I'm going to cover um, this is a follow-up by. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so this is a follow-up uh, by Philip Zimbardo himself, um, Craig Haney himself and Christina Maslach, which we will get into who that is later. Um, and then after that, I have um, Craig Haney and Philip Zimbardo did a follow-up um, 25 years after the the experiment Mm -hmm. to kind of say um the first one is a lot more where they stand personally and it kind of covers things that like don't ever really get touched on um the second one is kind of more specifically how they feel about the study and kind of how they feel about prisons and how have they changed and how did this study affect it and all that jazz um and then to end it um we're going to take a little ride with thomas carnahan and sam mcfarland and we're going to talk about um kind of some other aspects of the experiment how it wasn't the best how it could have been done better and these people essentially um they kind of like redid the study um they didn't redo the whole study but they redid um like they looked at like Mm self-selection and like they redid like recruiting people for the study and stuff which was kind of wild and interesting and we'll get into that later are you ready to drag the shit
0: out of zimbardo (laughs)
1: <laughs> i came with their said i don't know if you can hear the paper flapping i literally have like a hundred pages of yeah shit in front of me it's not she more. did
0: so much research on this it's not even funny
1: <sighs> it's fine i literally i've read all of this so much it's so gross um so i'm not going to touch on too much of like the presentation just because like you don't need me to read this to you like i can post a link of where i found this uh it's like really not that hard to find yeah um and so you know Whatever. You can look it up yourselves if you want to read all of it. Because it actually is, like, super interesting. Um, like, it's also weird just to see, like, because we know him in, like, such, like, an infamous role. Infamous. Um, but, like, he's just so, like, casually mentioned in this. Like, it says like, you know, like, technical notes. Like, the materials. It's, you know, 80, 35 millimeter slides. Because back when we had the physical mm-hmm. slides. Um, and then a stereo cassette tape, which contains on one track the narration of the experiment by Philip or by Professor Zimbardo and like interspersed with sound effects from a study. I really wish I could get my hand on the sound effects. Like I wanna hear that. Um presentation was fifty-one minutes, so that's about an hour, you know, all that cool stuff. Um the first thing I wanted to touch on that I thought was really interesting about this, because like they talk about um there's like a description of like every slide. Mm -hmm. And, like, kind of, like, just a very brief description of, like, what the picture is. Um, So, like, obviously, they start with, like, people getting handcuffed by police. Um, And it's just crazy because, like, I don't think we really think about the fact that, like, a lot of this was, like, recorded. But also, like, for them to take pictures, like, it wasn't, like, now where it's, like, oh, we have, like, some really nice security cameras and we can just, like... You know, take stills from that. Like, no, these were like people with cameras coming in these cells. So, like, these people knew that they were being documented, recorded, and mm-hmm. like, you have to think that extra humiliation. Like, you know, this is a study. Like, you know, thousands of like researchers and people are going to see this.
0: Yeah, I think like that would fuck me up more than anything else. Is that like knowing, like, knowing they're in documenting the back of your and like head? sharing your pain. Yeah, yeah, like knowing that in the back of your head, knowing in the back of your head that like yes, this is technically an experiment but then if you even use the word experiment or simulation or study exactly, or whatever you got like trouble. the guards fucking beat the shit out of you.
1: Yeah, cuz like some of the stuff here like there's pictures of prisoners being processed, stripped, de-loused. Um this one's literally just des- <laughs> described as someone being humiliated. Um which is fu- it's a cool, picture I hate of how vague some- that is. <laughs> yeah, it's a picture of someone being stripped and then the next slide is them being humiliated. So like, oh, I wonder if that was uh It was right at the beginning. The strip search where they were like yeah
0: yelling at them about having like small dicks and uneven balls and weird genitalia and whatever yeah
1: it was like there's like you know men with their head shaved like the shaven men lining up um literally one of the pictures slide 38 is push-ups as punishment which they literally make a connection to auschwitz <laughs> i hate that that um, makes me
0: uncomfortable
1: right you're gonna hear a lot of paper noises in this one i'm sorry in advance she's not kidding she literally has like a hundred pages worth of research on this probably more because i think this alone is like 30 (laughs) um yeah literally like even like 8612 breaking down um distraught people visiting their parents prisoners cleaning toilets 819 crying prisoner 416 refusing food Uh, Several times they refer to them as real prisoners. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to watch this, too, with all the sound, like the very first sound. It's like the title slide and then (laughs) they play uh, police sirens. Well, yeah, because they I mean, I know you remember,
0: but for our listeners, if you remember, uh, they like this was a whole simulation. Like they sent real cops to real houses and had them pick these kids up and like go through a whole arrest thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like, also I'm going to probably mention this like 70 times, but I fucking hate how much they like tokenized Carlo Prescott. He was, um, I believe, I believe he's actually African American. Um, If I remember right, but like they found this, this guy who had been incarcerated for like 17 years and, um, they brought him in essentially as a like consult to like make the prison more accurate, but like, which is fine. Like that makes sense. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but like the way that they like, they treat him as such like a token, like, look, we have like an enemy, like, this inmate told us how to do this, so, like, it's not our fault kind of a thing, like, really pisses me off. And, like, they're so, like, oh, my God, like, we have this little ex-con. He's our little pet. Like, he showed us how to do it. Like, I fucking, yeah. I hate it. And, like, you're going to hear me complain about it constantly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they kind of just go through, you know, how they, you know, like, go through to you know, how they got them ready and everything, mm-hmm. like, how they brought them in. Um, they really, like, fucking, like... Which, they act like they weren't trying to, like, psychologically fucking destroy these people. But, like, let me just read this little paragraph for you. This little paragraph talks about how... Um, how they made them feel like prisoners. Okay. So mm. they say, um, you know... The prisoners are brought into the jail one at a time, greeted by the warden. Each prisoner is searched and then systematically stripped naked. He is then deloused, a procedure designed in part to humiliate him and in part to make sure he isn't bringing any germs to contaminate our jail. The prisoner is then issued his uniform. It consists of five parts. The main part is a dress, which each prisoner wears at all times with no underclothes. On the dress, in front and in back, is his prison number. On the prisoner's right ankle is a heavy chain, bolted on and worn at all times. Loose fitting rubber sandals are on their feet and on their heads to cover their long hair. Stocking caps, a woman's nylon stocking made into a cap which had had to be kept on day and night. It should be clear that we are trying to recreate a functional simulation of a prison environment, not a literal one. This is an important distinction for you to appreciate and keep in mind. Real male prisoners don't wear dresses, but real male prisoners, we have learned, do feel humiliated, do feel emasculated, and we thought we could produce the same effects very quickly by putting men in a dress without any underclothes. Um, indeed, as soon as some of our prisoners were put in these uniforms, they began to walk and to sit differently and to hold themselves differently, more like a woman than a man. The chain on their foot, which is also uncommon in prisons, was used in order that the prisoner would always be aware of the oppressiveness of his environment. So even when a prisoner was asleep, he could not escape the atmosphere of oppression. When a prisoner turned over, the chain would hit his other foot, waking him up, reminding him that he was still in prison, unable to escape, escape, even in his dreams.
0: Yeah, so I read that when I did my research, and I fucking hated that entire paragraph, and I hate you for making me relive that paragraph. (laughs) Yeah, they, uh... And then the rest, I probably was won't really touch on too wild. much. Wild, like he, I mean, he says he w- wasn't trying to, you know, do all these things, but like when you look at it from an objective viewpoint, like you were clearly trying to fuck people's day up.
1: Yeah, like, you even said, like, they can't escape even in their dreams, which, like, goddamn, calm down, you, like, you movie villain. Like, (sighs) come on.
0: Like, oh, I want them to roll over in their sleep and feel the chain hit their other leg and be reminded of the oppression. Like, sir, take several seats.
1: Yeah, they, like, which, yeah, I'm not going to touch on much more because the rest of it's really just kind of, like, you know, describing you know part everything by part how they, you know, did everything. And it's everything that we've already talked about, but like I just had to Sorry, I dropped something. Um, I just had to like touch on some of that stuff cuz just like he tries to act like such a good guy, but like you specifically said in your own words that you were trying to fucking ruin these people's lives. Like you said it yourself.
0: Yeah, it's it's insane how much he goes back and forth. Like one minute he'll be like, "No, I wasn't trying to, you know, you know, ruin them and i like he'll put on this mask of like the good guy who just really didn't expect this to go south and then like in the next sentence he'll be like yeah we fucked their shit up
1: yeah he's just so oh god he makes me so mad he's so inconsistent um okay so i'm gonna transition into um this this is (laughs) (laughs) wow beautiful tone That sounds like a guitar. Anyways, yeah. Okay. Wow, that was <laughs> we exciting. got really distracted. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is um, his reflections on the prison experiment. Oh dear. Um, which also the first part of this is actually just like I thought this was wild. Uh, so like I had to include this just because I just think this is like the weirdest connection. Um, okay. So obviously everyone knows, not everyone, uh, but everyone should know. <laughs>
0: everyone um,
1: should know like about we've touched on it i touched on it fucking in the Stanford prison experiment one i know i did i think i've also mentioned it in other ones um the milgram obedience study um oh the, they, yeah the electric the, the electric shock thing and i've touched on it a lot of times um so i'm really not going to get into it um if you want to look it up it's m-i-l-g-r-a-m the obedience study it's a real quick read it's super fucking fascinating um, but that man I didn't realize was actually a huge inspiration of Philip and Zimbardo. I knew they were around like the same time period, but I didn't realize that Zimbardo specifically like knew of that study and knew of Stanley Milgram and like was specifically motivated by Milgram's like pushing of the boundaries, which like you think most people would see that and be like, oh wow. Um, That's the thing we shouldn't do because that um, traumatized people severely. Yeah. I don't like that you used the word inspiration. Oh, he does. um, Oh, this. He wrote a whole ass love letter to Stanley Milgram. But honestly. Again, from an objective
0: viewpoint, I understand like that. That checks out. That makes so much sense when you look at. His experiment and how it played out. And, and just his like attitude towards it. And yeah, he like his attitude towards everything. That checks out that he was inspired by Milgram. I hate it, but it checks out.
1: Yeah, so like this whole... The first fucking six paragraphs are just like him jacking off Stanley Milgram. Oh, God. Um, but they apparently actually knew each other quite well. Like they had worked together like several times. Because um, he talks about how this... uh chapter is like based on like an apa symposium um and he actually like like it was a symposium honoring stanley milgram okay and like he actually knew stanley milgram he had worked with him like several times so this was like he was like a key person they called on to like be a part of this um so they actually were high school classmates together at james monroe high school in the bronx um so stanley milgram was voted the smartest kid like that was his superlative oh no and um Phillips and Zimbardo was voted most popular in their uh, year. Like, they were in the same year. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't most popular. Yeah, and he said um, they often talked about the reasons for seemingly strange or rational behavior by teachers, peer, or people, peers, or people in the real world. Um, so, they both kind of came from, like, not great homes. So, like, they both kind of were, like, looking for an excuse for why people are shitty, essentially.
0: Okay. So, they've both been fixated on this idea Since, like, of like the power balance and you know why are people trash
1: <laughs> yeah and then they so they both graduated in 1950 um they went to separate colleges and grad schools um but were reunited a decade later at yale okay. um because milgram was working as an assistant professor and then he uh, i think he was also working there too though he doesn't say specifically oh he was teaching part-time in the school of education okay um so Stanley began his studies in 1961 um but he said Zimbardo like kind of saltily says that when he asked him about the studies uh Milgram wouldn't talk about it at all and he (laughs) said that he would he refused to talk about it until his like his work was published which was probably because he knew that he was doing some bullshit honestly I mean on the one hand you're right like he was
0: doing some bullshit but from just like a basic science perspective i understand him not wanting to talk about his research until it was published because like people scooping
1: your research is a huge thing okay that but zimbardo doesn't work in the same field i mean so like there's not really a chance of that he was just being a dick uh it's real cute though because you can tell how much he is like a fucking crush on milgram <laughs> oh no he literally like at one point he says like Um, you know, we exchanged correspondence in 1965. I congratulated him on winning something. Um, he responded with hope of increasing our contact in the future. He called me a while later to say he was using my book as a text in his course. Um, obviously flattered. I worked at renewing our relationship and they planned to write a textbook together, but it never happened. Um, and then he, uh, so he was actually the one. Okay, if you believe what he says, he supposedly is the one who actually went to Milgram after reading his study and was like, so I know that like some of them refuse to shock the other person, but like I've touched, I know I touched on this as well in the Stanford Prison Experiment, but he asked him, you know, did any of them ever try to help the person? Did they try to leave the room? Yeah. Did they try to run to that person's aid? Did they do anything? um and he said when i posed this question to stanley he searched his memory and answered not one not ever so that means he really demonstrated a more fundamental level of obedience that was total 100 percent of the participants followed the programmed dictates from elementary school authority to stay in your seat until granted permission to leave um and then he kind of talks about like Oh, he said one of his greatest surprises from Stanley came at the height of his career when he confided to me that he felt his research was underappreciated and not sufficiently respected by his social psychology colleagues. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, he's like,
0: and he (laughs) was like, at first
1: I was stunned because his obedience studies are the most cited in every (laughs) introductory and social psychology textbook I know. But he's essentially saying like no one can like redo his work and no one really wrote like these big pieces about his work because his work kind of just like said it all yeah like there wasn't much more and like also they were like yeah no more studies like this so like no no one could really like reproduce it anyways yeah
0: there was no ambiguity in his study there was no you know if ands or buts it was very finite and it was very we're not doing this again because this shit wasn't ethical
1: (laughs) Yeah, so that, the, the opening to this is kind of him just talking about Stanley Milgram and how it's, like, Yeah, that sounds like a nice little circle jerk they had going on there. Yeah, it really was. I just thought that was, like, fascinating. I never knew that they, like, knew each other like that. Like, I would have never guessed. Yeah. Um. So, at the beginning of his little section, he kind of just talks about the study again. This is pretty, like, common. He kind of just, like, covers it. But also, at the same time, he's trying to, like, really downplay how, what these people went through. Um. I just like this one, like paragraph he, um, they talked about like, okay, after, um, like eight, six, one, two, like all that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. They said like, uh, they're talking about like after eight, six, one, two, and like the couple of people that ended up leaving, they said one of their prisoners was released after he broke out in a full body rash uh, following the rejection of his appeal for parole by our mock parole board. That's little taste of how, uh, ugh. how seriously these people were taking these things. Yeah. I, ugh. like, do you know how it's stressed just, you have to be to break out in a full body rash? Like yeah. I, I have been unbelievably stressed and never even come close.
0: It just blows my mind that Zimbardo was able to look at these things and just casually like disregard just explain them away.
1: It. Yeah. He was just like, yeah. yeah, it was like no big deal. It was just a full body rash. Like, who cares? You had
0: kids that were having dissociative episodes and weren't even identifying themselves as themselves
1: anymore. Yeah, like, they lost all sense of, like, their fucking identity, bro. Like, so, I thought this was interesting. So, he kind of talks about, because we haven't really, we've kind of touched on, like, why they did this study, but, like... Not like the why like they we've kind really of touched about like what descriptor. Yeah, kinda of like what like what they wanted out of ooh, excuse me. What they wanted like out of the study, but we haven't really talked about like the why of like why the whole study like even was created per se.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so he says specifically, um like he had kind of like we already talked about, like he'd already been conducting research on like he was like his research focused a lot on like dehumanization. Like, his thing was mostly about, like, yeah, like, people losing their identity. Mm -hmm. Like, that was, like, a huge thing for him. So, like, he wanted to illustrate the ease with which ordinary people could be led to engage in antisocial acts by putting them into situations in which they felt anonymous or in which they could perceive others in ways that made them less than human as enemies or objects. Which, like, first of all. (laughs) Nope, I hate it fuck you none (laughs) of that research was ever gonna end well um so their idea of how this like really like all came about was like taking that concept along with craig haney and kurt banks and saying what would happen if we aggregated all of these processes making some participants feel de-individuated that word sucks and others dehumanized within an anonymous environment of like a controlled experimental setting so yes that was the primary reason for conducting the study they're essentially like okay well we're looking to see what happens when like people really lose themselves and like lose touch with humanity um what if we just did our best to make that as bad as fucking possible in a controlled setting what if we lock them all in a box shake the crazies and see what happens was the whole purpose of this study
0: Yikes. From his
1: own mouth. Yeah.
0: Um, so I hate everything about that. I also hate myself because I now have Lose Yourself by
1: Eminem stuck in my head. Lose yourself in the (laughs) memes.
0: Anyway. (laughs) You're welcome for putting that in your head now.
1: Um, And then it says, um, the second reason was to generate another test of the power of social situations over individual dispositions without relying on the kind of face-to-face imposition of authority that was central in Stanley Milgram's obedience studies. (laughs) In many real-life situations, people are seduced to behave in evil ways without the coercive control of an authority figure. So essentially, they were like, how do we fuck people up without directly standing in front of them saying, do a fucked up thing? Right. Which, like, come on. Like, there's really no way you can explain that away and say that it was for a good purpose. Yeah, no. there's. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to touch on these, like, briefly. Um, But I think they're kind of important as, like, a viewpoint to see kind of, like, how Zimbardo sees his own study and kind of, like, the importance that he's put on it. So he created 10 lessons to be learned from the Stanford Prison Experiment. I hope numbers one through nine are that he's trash. Oh, I wish they were, but they're not. <laughs> um, okay, so lesson one is that some situations can exert powerful influences over individuals, causing them to behave in ways that they would not, could and could not predict in advance. Um, so that's mm, fair. I mean You yeah. know, I mean sometimes things happen, shit happens, and we don't know how we're gonna respond to it.
0: I'm not gonna roast him yet.
1: Yeah, because it's always that like age old question like could you shoot a murderer if they were gonna like murder your family? And like, right. realistically, like, you don't fucking know until you're in that situation. Cause like, you might be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then freeze, or yeah. vice versa, be like, oh, never. And then like, you're fucking Rambo out in this shit. Like, <laughs> who knows? Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> uh Okay, uh, so lesson two. Situational power is most salient in novel settings in which participants cannot call on previous guidelines for their new behavior and have no historical references to rely on in which their habitual ways of behaving and coping are not reinforced. Essentially, all that is saying is that um, if you're in a new situation and you don't know how to react to it, like you haven't already created those like pathways, Mm -hmm. like you, it's like way easier to like manipulate people. Like people are going to, be easily manipulated in situations that they're not familiar with. Well, yeah. We're creatures of
0: habit. If we don't have a habit, then we're going to, you know,
1: exactly. Make like it up as we
0: go and follow the
1: crowd. Exactly. Um, so I'm not mad at it yet. Yet. <laughs> um, okay. Lesson three, situational power involves ambiguity, ambiguity words of role boundaries, authoritative or institutionalized permission to behave in prescribed ways or to disinhibit traditional disapproved ways of responding. Essentially, it's saying if you're in a new role, um, you're not necessarily going to follow the rules that you've created for yourself all this time. Mm -hmm. Like in a new situation, like you might not, like it's easier for you to form new pathways. You're not necessarily only going to rely on what you already know. Yeah. Um, Like it's easier to manipulate people into doing new things. Uh, Lesson four role playing can still come to exert a profoundly realistic impact on the actors. That's valid. I mean, yeah. Role playing can hurt people's feelings in a very <laughs> serious way.
0: I mean, you see that a lot with like method actors like um, I hate that Jared Leto is the first one that comes Ew. to mind, but I, Ew.
1: he's a Daniel Day Lewis.
0: Thank you. Way better one. There we go. But yeah, I mean, you see it with like they fully submerge themselves in these characters and become these characters for whatever amount of time that they need to and you can really hurt people's feelings by role-playing.
1: Yep. Uh, lesson five. Good people can be induced, seduced, and initiated into behaving in evil ways by immersion in total situations that can transform human nature in ways that challenge our sense of stability and consistency of individual personality, character, and morality. Wow. He really, like, has a way for it running on with sentences. Um. He's essentially just saying, like good people can do bad things which is kind of actually one of like the most contested we'll touch on that later it's like (gasps) one of the most contested points of his study is his opinion is that good people can be manipulated into being evil um and like he gives a couple of examples that aren't great um but okay So lesson six, human nature can be transformed within, first of all, I want you to, this is his own words. Just take this for you. Mm. Lesson six, human nature can be transformed within certain powerful social settings in ways as dramatic as the chemical transformation in the captivating fable of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No, Mm.
0: no, 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 Mm mm i have not had enough coffee to unpack that statement
1: (laughs) yeah so like i said we'll touch on that later it's more about he really thinks that like he can take anybody essentially and turn them into a villain that's kind of of philip's whole opinion (laughs) literally okay so lesson seven despite the artificiality god it's too early for this Of controlled experimental research such as the SPE or any of Milgram's many variations on the obedience paradigm, when such research is conducted in a way that captures essential features of mundane realism, the results do have considerable generalizability power. Wow, it's too early for these words, man. Yeah. It really is. I'm, like, also on a lot of painkillers for, like, (laughs) my surgery, so, like, just sitting up and (laughs) reading is hard. Um, so essentially what he's saying is that um, despite the fact that the SPE was a controlled experimental setting, he believes that it has generalizability power. Like he thinks mm-hmm. that you can take the results of that study and generalize them on a wide scale and apply them to people as a whole. Despite the fact that this was not a real life situation, it was completely manufactured in an experimental setting. Yeah. There is a lot. This this argument goes back to hundreds and hundreds of years it's a huge huge part of science especially psychology is like Mm -hmm. what can be applied to real life situations by like versus experimental situations and like how can you generalize that um so it's kind of just important to know that he he feels that you can generalize this to a wide public despite the fact that it was done in like a controlled setting so no. <laughs> just no. It's it's a kind of a childish view, honestly. I mean, like for someone with all of the experience and like and intellect that I know he has, like it's very it's it's a very selfish view.
0: I mean, like the literally the fact that controlled setting is in that phrasing at all means you can't generalize it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so he's a big, like, dick sucker of Kurt Lewin. Um, (laughs) Go off. Anyways, um, but yeah, so uh, Kurt Lewin is, like, he's in social psychology, and he does a lot of, like, experimental stuff, but he, like, is a big supporter that um, you can take these issues that you do in an experimental lab, and you can apply them to, like, real life, and, He thinks that it's possible to, like, establish these causal relationships that, like, normally you would only do in, like, a field study. Um, So, like, I think he kind of is just, like, piggybacking. Like, oh, see, other people say it's okay, too. Like, it's good. It's not. It's
0: not. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Studies that are done in a lab setting cannot be applied to the general public.
1: That's my favorite song. (laughs) I'm about to make that a fucking (laughs) mixtape. Okay. Lesson eight. Selection procedures for special tasks, such as being prison guards, might benefit from engaging the participants in simulated role-playing rather than, or in addition to, screening on the the basis of personality testing. No. (laughs) They're saying, yeah, um, I mean maybe we could have like trained them or prepared them for this in any sort of way first.
0: Yeah, maybe you could have uh had literally done anything. Training be more than just do anything you can to keep law and order. Maybe it could have been like, I don't know, a seminar. Maybe. Just a thought. I hope this is going left and right, like I am going left and right. He even like, literally goes like,
1: "As far as I know, current training for the very difficult job of prison guard involves minimal training."
0: No, it's like weeks worth of training. Oh, okay, nope.
1: I love that he even admits, "Like as far as I know, like I haven't really looked into it. Don't really know much, but as far as into I know, because I'm not a prison guard." <laughs> but. uh Um, Okay, so lesson nine. It is necessary for psychological researchers who are concerned about the utility of their findings and the practical application of their methods or conclusions to go beyond the role constraints of academic research to become advocates advocates for social change. So essentially they're saying, if you, like, are concerned about your findings and think that this has, like, practical, like, people, like, real-world people could benefit from knowing about this, then he's saying you kind of owe it to the world to, like people and like be an advocate for the social change like if you know a way to positively benefit society you c- should not keep that inside you should absolutely 100 percent become an advocate for social change and like let people know so like i honestly can't really i can't really argue with that like mm. i think he's totally valid like if you know something that can change the world in a positive way like i think you have every like obligation to share that with the world yeah yeah like you should like that's the people like always saying like oh someone's found like a cancer treatment but like you know what i mean the world doesn't have it like you you should be obligated to share that like if you could save people's lives or like help them okay but let me just shut that. okay but that's like a whole big pharma you know government thing but you know what i'm saying like if you have something like that like you should be obligated to share it yeah
0: but just like real quick because it's on my mind now um The next person to share an article about how there's a vaccine for cancer is going to catch these fucking hands. (laughs) That is all. I just needed to get that off my chest. There's no such thing as a vaccine for cancer. It's not how this shit works. Like, is there a cure for cancer that they're working on? Probably. Is cancer research really complicated? Because we want to do a lot with stem cells, but people think that that's ethically a problem? Yes it is. Do people need to fucking stop interfering with science? <laughs> a little bit. Is there a vaccine for cancer? No. That is all. Insane. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: <laughs> okay. Lesson ten. This is where it gets wild. Okay, I actually never knew that Zimbardo had such... We'll touch on this several times, but I didn't know he had such a strong opinion about prisons as a whole. Like, we actually very much have the same opinion on prisons, which I think is, like, wild. Um, Because he's much more, like, revolutionary than I had anticipated, and I'm for it. okay. Prisons are places that demean humanity, destroy the nobility of human nature, and bring out the worst in social relations among people. They are as bad for the guards as the prisoners in terms of their destructive impact on self-esteem, sense of justice, and human compassion. They're designed to isolate people from all others and even from the self. Self. Sorry, I had a hiccup. Nothing is worse. I feel like a lisp right now for some reason. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Nothing is worse for the health of an individual or a society than to have millions of people who are without social support, social worth, or social connections to their kin. Prisons are failed social political experiments that continue to be places of evil and even to multiply like the bad deeds of the sorcerer's apprentice because the public is indifferent to what takes place in secret there and because politicians use them and fill them up as much as they can to demonstrate only that they are tougher on crime than their political opponents. Does this sound like a bad Facebook post to you? Because like (laughs) I get that. I mean, I agree with him on some points, but like, yeah. holy shit, dog! Like, it's bad. That was a roller coaster. Oh, it gets even more ranty. I'm I, not even gonna touch into all that, but he gets yeah, real I, fucking ranty.
0: I agree with him at so, like definitely the political party is throwing people in jail just to look tougher than the other political party. Like, I definitely agree with that. But also, like,
1: newsflash: jail's not supposed to be comfy. And, I mean like he again, does have a point like, he get, like like I said he gets way more into it that I'm like not gonna read because fair. I just don't want to rant about this for fucking an hour <laughs> um but like he does talk a lot about like like there's not bad aspects to them but they used to be more about like rehabilitation and like yeah like churning out people who could survive in society and they're no longer like about that
0: yeah now it's just kind of
1: yeah we'll we'll get into that more later yeah. um This part was wild to me. So, like, I had to include this. So, he touches on the ethics of the Stanford prison experiment. Um, You mean the lack thereof? (laughs) So, this is his whole ass blatant opinion. I'm about to read, like, the majority of these two paragraphs because it's all just, like, wild to me. I'm not ready. Okay. So, I'm ready, but I'm not. (laughs) In his opinion, he asks himself the question Was the SPE study unethical? Yes. No. And yes. Uh He also says no first. He doesn't say yes and no. He says no and yes. (laughs) So clearly in his head, the no is way more prevalent. Yeah. Okay. So he says (laughs) no because it followed the guidelines of the human subjects research review board that reviewed it and approved it. Mm. Do you want to know what also passed the human review board? The Milgram study? the Tuskegee syphilis study. Oh, I forgot about that. <gasps> Do you know what also passed the human subjects research review board? Another uh, shitty
0: one that wasn't ethical.
1: Little Albert? Oh my god. Do, like <laughs> I can I can I can keep going. No, please don't. They you're all passed. bringing up
0: studies that I really want to forget about.
1: They all passed. And like that's why they were done. But Maybe. like that doesn't mean that they were right.
0: We should do a mini episode of like all of the th- studies that passed the human ethics board.
1: Can we call it "fuck Phillips and Barnum"?
0: <laughs> that should have never been passed. Like that should be a mini episode. Yeah. So, um,
1: that's not an excuse. Yeah, that doesn't justify. Not an excuse. Okay. Um and then and then he follows this, this already wild fucking claim by saying that it was not it was not him him as, as the guy who designed the experiment, ran the experiment, signed on to be responsible for these people's well being and mental health, not his responsibility to take care of them. No 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 no. Their rights should have been protected by any of the many citizens who came to that mock prison, saw the deteriorated condition of those young men, and yet did nothing to intervene. And then he goes on to list all of the people who had, like, a hand in the study or, like, saw these people.
0: You mean the friends and family that asked you if their son was getting enough nutrition and you, like, basically asked if they thought their son was a fucking pussy? Or you mean, like the friends and family who called lawyers, lawyers to see if they could get out of the contract
1: that they signed. You the you Catholic priest who reported you,
0: um, the person the lawyers who, reported you who to told you to shut it priest? down. Yeah. The people who reported you to the priest, like your two colleagues who showed up and told you that your shit was fucked.
1: All of the people who literally <laughs> begged you to stop doing this, including the people taking place in the study. Hmm. oh and then he said no (laughs) we might also add another no because we ended the study earlier than planned ended it against the wishes of the guards who felt they finally had the situation under their control and there would be no more disturbance or challenge by the prisoners yeah do you want to come to another ted talk because that's where i'm about to go i just want you to
0: no. Really not. let that sink in. No. You ended the study early because people were having legitimate psychological breakdowns. People were medically
1: unwell. People and then he were says, malnourished. The guards. The guards didn't want me to stop. But I was so good of- because I stopped it even though the guards didn't want me to. Of
0: course the guards didn't want to. They were having fun circle jerking each other and fucking being
1: dumbasses. And then Oh my Oh my God. <sighs> so his yes was um Yes, it was unethical because people suffered and others were allowed to inflict pain and humiliation on their fellows over an extended period of time. Mm. And then he said, this is the pain of seeing and hearing the suffering you as a guard were causing in peers who, like you, had done nothing to deserve such punishment and abuse. And yes, we didn't end the study soon enough. We should have terminated it on day two. (laughs) I
0: fucking can't
1: and to this day like he acts like he got sucked up into it but like he never left he literally no. ended this by saying one reason we did not was because of the conflicts created by my dual roles as principal principal investigator thus guardian of the research ethics of the experiment and as prison superintendent thus eager to maintain the integrity of my prison you have no prison
0: dude you bought into this as much as everybody else did. and here's
1: still there like you didn't have a prison You never had a prison. You had a research experiment that simulated a prison. You did not have a prison. Right. You You are not a superintendent. (laughs) You were not a warden.
0: You had a basement in the like
1: a hall. Psychology building. Like (sighs) and what do you mean the conflicts? No. No, you are only a person responsible for the health and well being of the people involved. That's it. Full point. Stop period end of sentence that's it (laughs) i i feel strongly about this yeah if you can't tell
0: (laughs) I, i don't even have words for
1: any of that he's delusional also another point this is how they talk about the dude who like helped them like the prison consultant. This is why I was talking about why it's like annoying. Yeah. The guy that was uh, in San Quentin for like 17 years. Yeah. He says, uh, Carla Prescott, our prison consultant has been a good citizen and out of prison for the past 27 years. after having, after having served 17 previous years and being released just months before his involvement in the SPE because of his role in the SPE, Carla got a job, had his own radio program for some years taught college courses on imprisonment, lectured in the community, and gained new status and self-esteem. We have maintained a close supportive relationship over many of the intervening years, which like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that he had been released months before. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons they wanted him, because he was like fresh, fresh out of prison and like really had been in prison life for like a long time. I hate that. So like, but like, I just like, I don't know, like obviously I'm very happy that like he- got out of prison and like they you know like got him into like these healthy things a
0: well-adjusted functioning member of society
1: but you played a big role in fucking some people up also one of the things he claims to be proud of is that the first prisoner who left went on to get a phd in clinical psychology he (laughs) says in part to learn how to greater control his emotions and behavior no he probably did it to Mm, nope to deal with the trauma that you gave him for the rest of his fucking life right literally his last sentence of because this is the end of um his part he also talks about how there's a stanford prison experiment rock band and that he's met them and like hung out with them and that they're dope (laughs) so i think that's funny um but the very last sentence is, I think that Stanley Milgram would be pleased that our well-worn circuitous paths have crossed again in this tribute to him. Like, dog, stop jerking off his cock. He's dead. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Yeah, I, like, didn't realize
0: that they were buddies. I feel very strongly about this. It's one of those things where, like, you are aware that it. it's like, okay, it's like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. Like sometimes you're aware that that happened in the same time frame, but you're not. But like, aware it doesn't like click it. until you realize that Henry Ford and Thomas Edison were like best friends and they went camping all the time, and Henry Ford threw him a party on the 50th anniversary of the lighting of the electric light bulb.
1: <laughs> That's actually kind of wild. I actually yeah. didn't even know that they
0: were like the best of friends. <laughs> so like, just that was. Sidebar, but that shit blows my mind. Like people went from candles to incandescent light bulbs, from horses and carriages to cars, in the same time frame.
1: It's also wild to me that Picasso and Anne Frank, like, existed at the same time. Okay,
0: when you shared that, that fucked my day up. I didn't realize Picasso was so recent. Wait,
1: really? Yeah. Picasso. One of Picasso's favorite uh, movies was The Exorcist. Yeah, that fucked my day up.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I had pictured him as like an 1800s
1: <laughs> Everyone dude, does. But Literally like,
0: everyone does. like wrecked my life. It also oh. explains like half of his paintings. Home Dude was probably on some like gray acid from the 70s.
1: Literally. Literally. Okay. <laughs> so... She's around, because the christina part's wild and like we'll get into that in oh a second. no okay so this is craig haney so craig haney was like the other main person who like did this experiment yeah. so he um he actually was a second year psychology graduate student at uh, stanford when all this happened he actually was working as a ta for one of zimbardo's classes but like he knew that he wanted to like work with zimbardo because he was like interested in like the work on like dehumanization he had already done yeah and like he also actually was in the audience of one of stanley milgram's like presentations about like his obedience study which like really like interested like interested him interested him yeah i, I don't know say, why i was like stuttering, stuttering that so bad D is there <laughs> yeah i don't know why i was like stuttering that so bad uh but you get what i'm saying yeah i got you um so like that's actually the whole reason he even came to Stanford was because he wanted to work with like Zimbardo. Okay. And like he was already like interested in all of that. Um. So yeah, it's kind of boring. He was at Stanford for two years, did some work, cool beans. Anyways, um. So he said one of the things that like really drew him and Zimbardo together was that they shared a deep belief that social psychology could and should be used to improve the human condition um so zimbardo had brought actually that ex-convict into the class to like speak and that's kind of how the whole thing like got like tipped off okay like they all kind of like came together at that like day yeah and really like kind of decided like how they wanted to like touch on prison like they already knew they were interested like in prison like obviously he had him like come and speak and then like they kind of realized that this was like you know started piecing it all together Um, he doesn't really say a lot, honestly, like it's, it's interesting, but like, he's just kind of talking about how, like, it's a lot about like what he did at Stanford and like his personal feelings, which honestly are not super interesting. Um, he kind of talks about like some like studies, but I think it's kind of interesting because he talks about, so in the actual study itself, he took the role as like the prison psychologist. Okay. Um, hate that but okay so he said that like he thought it was super interesting that like from the beginning like the guards withdrew just as like the prisoners did so he said like um you know he had interviewed all of them before it started kind of felt like he kind of got to know everybody kind of what everybody's personality was like kind of like who everybody was Mm -hmm. um and then which like god he, even he's like so cringy it kind of makes my skin call he says i really felt no hostility towards them as the study proceeded and their behavior became increasingly extreme and abusive <sighs> i'm sorry like he even admitted like he didn't fucking care what <laughs> and then he said um he insisted on talking privately with the prisoners like counseling them and he occasionally instructed the guards to refrain from their like mistreatment but because he did that they saw him as a traitor and so he literally said, like, one of the prisoners wrote in his diary, like, about him, saying, the psychologist rebukes me for handcuffing and blindfolding a prisoner before leaving the counseling office. And I resentfully reply that it's both necessary for security in my business anyways. He goes, indeed, he had told me off. Um, but, like, in this bizarre turn of events, I, had, I was put in my place for failing to uphold the emerging norms of a simulated environment I had helped create by someone I had randomly assigned to this role. So, like, he no. got yelled at for, like, not being mean enough by one of the guards. And he said, like, it was kind of from all sides. So, it's, like, obviously, he was getting hostility from the prisoners because he was letting it happen to them. And he was getting hostility from the guards because they felt like he wasn't mean enough. Mm-hmm. But then he's getting hostility from Zimbardo because Zimbardo is, like, stressed and, like, sees that this shit is, like, losing control. Because um, he said he actually was the one responsible for letting 8612 leave. Because actually when all of it happened, it was, like, the middle of the night and he was the only one there. Oh, And he was the one who had to, like, make the executive decision all on his own. And he talks about how, like, he was fucking terrified for when Zimbardo came in, like, the next morning. Well, yeah. And they, like, really, like, fucking, like, went after them. He's like, I could tell they doubted my judgment. They were skeptical of my decision to let him go. He goes. Finally, after hours of discussion, they finally agreed that I had made the appropriate choice. And then they said, "Then they a different task faced us: how to account for this reaction." And then they imme- he talks about how they immediately went to victim blaming. Of course, he goes, we quickly seized on an explanation that felt as natural as it was reassuring. He must have broken down because he was weak or had some kind of defect in his personality that accounted for his oversensitivity and overreaction. And, like, then they said, in fact, we were worried there'd been a flaw in our screening process that had allowed a damaged person to slip through. No. A damaged person did not slip
0: through. You damaged a fucking person.
1: Exactly. And, like, some parts are valid because... this shit fucking works. He does talk about how, like, psychologists in a prison, like, it sucks. Like, it really sucks. Because, like, it's not clear, like, the role you occupy, like, are you supposed to, like, be helping the prisoners are you supposed to be helping the people who run the prison like it's really unclear and like it can make the guards and the prisoners like both not really trust you um and he's right about that like it is incredible like it's incredibly difficult to be a psychologist in a prison situation like everyone does distrust you yeah and like a lot of people won't accept like the help that you could give them because of that so like that part of it is on point um everything else sucks Mm -hmm. Like, he's almost worse than Zimbardo. Because he just straight up is like, oh, yeah, dude, like, I'm fucking trash. Just in case you were unsure. Right. I'm a literal piece of trash. Um, And then he kind of talks about just a lot of the prison crisis and everything, which I will touch on later. Because yeah. one of the whole articles, like, really, like, the 25 years later one really, like, mostly talks about prisons and how they suck. And then he also, which I thought this was interesting, that him and, like, Zimbardo, like, because he's kind of like a little zimbardo clone even though he like admits that he was worse um or at least he like admits that he's bad but uh he he interesting also like repeats almost the exact same sentence that philip zimbardo repeats all the time which is good people and even good intentions are not enough which is just like such a sad view of humanity Yeah, honestly i'm not gonna say whether it's accurate or inaccurate but like it's sad (laughs) okay so i'm gonna end this um, with Christina Maslach, I'm just going to say that I'm saying that right. Fuck, fuck me if I'm wrong. Um, so I thought this was wild cause she talks about how she actually, um, she also got her doctorate at Stanford and she actually was the office mate of Craig Haney. Okay. Um, and so she was about to start working as like an assistant professor at Berkeley. Um, and so this was so she was the office mate of craig haney she meets philip zimbardo they actually um right around the time of the experiment they actually were like seriously dating and like had talked about marriage um so she had kind of like heard about this she even like helped conduct some interviews with some of the study participants um and then a week or like it was supposed to be like a week after the study it was like one of the last days she was supposed to come in and like do interviews with the guards as well as prisoners mm-hmm. so she comes down on thursday the the like thursday to like meet everybody and she talks about like this really wild experience because she went down and she met one of the guards and it was literally like the dude who was like nicknamed like john wayne Oh, the like hard ass dude. Yeah. So like, she met him and she was like, "Yeah, he's totally normal, super friendly." Like, we had a really great conversation. And then she like went to do something, and then it was like his turn to like actually like be a guard. Mm -hmm. And like, she came back and he was just like fucking like just like wilding on these prisoners. And like, she just like could not believe it was even like the same person because he had just changed like so completely. Mm -hmm. Um. And then she kind of talks about like just you know having interviewed some of the prisoners and stuff like that, and and she like talks about him being like so excited, because like she said talked about how they put bags over all their heads and like let like lined them up to like go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. and him being like oh my god look like look what's happening look what's happening she's like yeah I saw what's happening right like what do you mean like I don't want to look like I don't want to see these things happening. Um, uh, so like he actually got upset with her. She said it was actually one of the biggest arguments they ever had because when they went to leave, he asked her about the entire study and she goes, I'm sure he expected some sort of great intellectual discussion about the research and the events we had just witnessed Instead, what he got was an incredibly emotional outburst from me. I was angry and frightened and in tears. I said something like what you're doing to those boys is a terrible thing. And then she talks about how it was like the scariest argument they ever had because she said he seemed so different from the man i thought i knew someone who loves students and cares for them like he was not the man i'd come to love and she goes we'd never had an argument before of this intensity and like it was just like incredibly like traumatic to her it was like the worst argument they ever had yeah and like i think that was kind of the point where he that was kind of like when he realized like how fucked up he was because he was like dude this is the girl like i want to marry yeah yeah, she was the breaking point yeah. for him
0: of like cuz he had a colleague, I think either earlier that day or the day before that came and was kind of like, mm, "I don't know about this man." But Yeah, cuz
1: she was technically a colleague as well cuz yeah. she had like worked on the study as well. But I didn't realize that they were like Yeah, I didn't realize they were dating. Um, Which might be why her opinion
0: was the reason that he stopped the experiment early. Cause, yeah, because I always thought that
1: was like crazy that it had you know. such like a dramatic effect on him. But yeah, um, they just celebrated their, in 1997, they celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. Aww. So, uh, so I get them, why that, podcast. that, uh, that opinion would have had like such a significant effect on him. Because at the
0: end of the day, men tend to think with their penises. <laughs>
1: And she does talk about, too, like, her reaction, like, was probably so different, too, because, like, she wasn't really involved. Yeah. Like, she did a little bit, but, like, she didn't, wasn't, like, indoctrinated into it. She was a true, like, third party. like, outsider. But, like, yeah, she just kind of talked, and then she just kind of, like, talks about that a little bit. But, like, she also said, like. I, which i like i can't imagine like how crazy that would be for her too like you want to marry someone and then you find out like you think that they're doing all these great things and then you find out they're doing like this horrible study mm-hmm. you know what i mean and she even says like i had to consider also in the back of my mind what i might do if phil continued with the SPE deti- despite my determined challenge to him would i have gone to the higher authorities the department chair the dean the human subjects committee even the police to blow the whistle on it and she goes i can't say for sure and i'm glad it never came to that but she basically says like she would have but like that's so wild to me like i can't imagine how like crazy that must have been for her too as like thinking that your you know future hubby is doing all this great research and then you find out that he's like fucking abusing people right (laughs) like like that's just just so wild to me completely 25 years after Oh, dear. I'm ready. <laughs> you look ready. <laughs> um, a lot of this, luckily, like I said, we already kind of touched on. So, like, I can kind of, like, go through this decently fast. Because, like, he does talk a lot about, because it's still talking to Craig Phillips and Philip Zimbardo. So, they do talk a lot about the same thing. So, they have, like, basically a lot of, like, positive. They, they're both very positive about the SPE, which is kind of ridiculous to me. Um, and they're very much, like I said, they're very much of the opinion that, like, immediate social situation can overwhelm, like, your individual differences and in your personality, um, which is also debatable. Mm, yeah. Um, then they kind of always talk about, they still talk about fucking Stanley Milgram. They and really just love circle jerking him, huh? Yeah, they really do. I'm, like, very over it. And then he tries to say that the behavior of prisoners and guards in our simulated environment bore a remarkable similarity to patterns found in actual prisons.
0: No, absolutely not.
1: Which I was kind of just like.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Hold on. I don't know about that one, First, honey let bear. Me readjust my makeshift shawl. I'm like wrapped in a blanket, but I don't want to hold the blanket so I can talk with my hands. So I kind of made it into like a shawl (laughs) anyway. So, um, no, (laughs) absolutely not. What you did is worse than prisons. So much worse. Like you had people having full ass mental breakdowns on like day two. Like, there was a riot. There was people protesting the conditions that you were holding them in on day two. This shit doesn't happen in real prisons.
1: I mean, they do have riots, I but mean, not like
0: that. They do have <laughs> riots, but not on day fucking two.
1: I fucking, oh my god. I just, like, they're so delusional. Um. He also says, um. <gasps> oh my god. That the Stanford Prison Experiment kind of, like, opened, they said, kind of, like, two avenues of research um, kind of moving forward. So, like, one of those avenues was kind of, like, the coercive power of legal institutions, like, in general. Um, and, like, how prisons can, like, fuck you up, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the importance of situational factors. Um, and then the other kind of branch um, explored the dimensions of psychological, like, Persons like it was a lot more about like the mental effects of like these things yeah and like how those like affect human experience and like human potential so like those are two valid like avenues of research i'm not like mad at either of those like those are two things that should be mm-hmm. addressed in better ways um but like oh boy i yeah i oh boy Um. So they kind of talk about like this is like a brief like kind of idea of like what was going on at the time in like the world in in, like regards to prisons. Um. So like around nineteen, so nineteen seventy one was the experiment, but around the nineteen seventies, like they were kind of. Like, lawmakers and stuff weren't, like, convinced that the whole prison thing was, like, working. Yeah. Like, they'd been expanding prisons for, like, a long time. And they were kind of like, this isn't, like, going that well. And, like, we don't really think it's, like, fixing anything. And, like, prisons are very expensive. Like, they had just recently, shelled, like, obviously shut out a lot of money for prisons. And they were kind of like, um, we're hesitant to, like, keep spending all this money and, like, making all these laws when, like, this doesn't really seem to be working that well. Um, so, like, that's why the study came at, like, a good time where it was kind of, like we want to know what the fuck is happening with prisons and like, how do we make them better? Like, are they a bad idea? Like what's going on? Um, And obviously Phillips and Bardo and Kikane are very much of the opinion that prisons are bad and not helpful. Um, So like that kind of like, you know, that's kind of like the standpoint they had. Um, But then they get real into um, real fucking into how that didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> um, how they pretty much were like, Yeah, prisons are bad. Like we should stop doing the prison thing. Like, stop sending money on prisons, prisons are bad. Um, and then the government was kind of like, actually fuck you. We're gonna drop more money on prisons than we ever have ever, and we're just gonna arrest everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. And like being tough on crime is like the thing that we wanna do. You get arrested, and you get arrested, and you get arrested. Literally, like it's crazy. Like the prison population has like exponentially grown wasn't this around the time that Alcatraz closed? Um, I believe so yes.
0: because that closed 1963.
1: So it was like so this is a almost bit 10 years afterwards. yeah because they talk about like how this was and this was back in like the mid 90s and I know for a fact that it has only gotten consistently worse since then, which is like terrifying. Um, But I already knew this was going to be so long. That's why I didn't, like, look up more papers on, like, the prison crisis currently. Um, But even back then, it said, like, you know, um, our nation finds itself in the worst corrections crisis in U.S. history. Like, for the first time in the 200-year history of imprisonment in the United States, there appears to be no limits on the amount of prison pain the public is willing to inflict in the name of crime control. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said... (laughs) They call it the mean season of corrections. And they say one in which penal f- philosoph- f- philosophy... I believe Jesus in you. Christ, <laughs> Penal philosophy amounts to little more than devising creative strategies to make offenders suffer. And, like, I know for a fact that it's only gotten worse. Oh, yeah, completely. Like, it's only consistently gotten worse. Like, they talk about how, like, literally, like, this beautiful little graph of, like, how much the prison population has grown in oh, just a matter of years it's essentially <gasps> just a fucking straight line up yeah just straight up because we went from like there was like 200 000 prisoners in like 1970 to 1995 there was millions and like it's only consistently gotten worse and worse and worse um so that's great and like they talk about a lot about like overcrowding and like how that's such an issue yeah um which, like, I could rant about that for seven fucking days. So yeah, I can't, if you guys I can't ever want to uh, see
0: Morgan go off, talk to her about prison.
1: That's one of the reasons I've been, like, reg- like not regretting doing this episode, but, like, pushing off this episode. Because I'm just, like, <laughs> I don't know how to do it without just fucking ranting angrily for, like, hours. So, I'm, like, really trying to, like... If it seems like I'm, like, skipping past things, because, like, if I touch on them too much, like, I'm going to fucking just have a mental breakdown. <laughs> um
0: we will be here all day
1: yeah because like they also touch on how u.s prisoners now lack meaningful work training education treatment counseling programs um which is not wrong they serve longer sentences than ever before um way more people um, are housed in like solitary than ever before um they like have taken in like recent years, like have taken this idea that like, essentially if we just lock them all up and they never leave their cells, then they're not a problem. Um, And they said it's gotten to the point where, um, well, first of all, this is a like, and there's like, at this time there was 36 States where you could do this. And now I know for a fact that I think it's like basically almost all 50 essentially like made it okay for you to lock prisoners up for at least 23 hours of the day. Like what the cell by themselves. With, like, no interaction. Like, yeah. they only have to be technically allowed, like, an hour of free time. So, like... Yeah. And they talk about how, like, punitive isolation, like, causes severe, like, psychological trauma and, like, psychiatric risk. And the Supreme Court is literally doing nothing. This is actually, like, a really great article. I'm going to link it. Like, I would say, like I said, I'm not going to touch in all these things because we'll be here for a million hours. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> the current state of prisoners in the prison crisis is like such a huge issue. Like obviously many people dedicate their whole lives to like researching this. Like there's such a huge pool of like research to pull from like, we would literally be here for like a thousand years. Um, but like they're very much obviously of the fact that like prisons are bad. Um, one thing that they really like touched on too, which like I 100% agree with is bullshit is um, it says despite the fact that the crime rate in the united states has been declining for some time in small but steady increments many of these bills were written in such a way as to cast the widest possible net beyond violent career criminals to include nonviolent crimes like felony drug convictions or minor property offenses and at one point they talk about how like literally like 80 percent of the people who are like arrested are like it's for drug convictions Mm -hmm. it's for like minor things that should have like never been involved like and the people who are like stuck like in prisoners right like, in prisons for the rest of their lives like a majority of them are for just like tiny things that don't fucking matter like 25 years for having like a weed yeah. like shit like that like but they rapists
0: said, get six months and get only if, two, if they get them. anything looking at you brock turner
1: yeah like and they talk about how like the corrections budgets are like higher than like most of the budgets for like education or like literally anything else. Yeah, it's honestly kind of bullshit.
0: <laughs> We're yeah. one of the dumbest first world countries, and it's because we don't fucking spend money. On oh education. yeah, they touch
1: on how we have more people like incarcerated than literally any other first world country mm-hmm. by like a disgusting percentage. Um, they talk about how they also talk a lot about how like. Like, obviously, we've talked about how damaging, like, the Stanford Prison Experiment was to these people's, like, mental health. Mm -hmm. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, we took totally normal, healthy, well-adjusted people, and they had a mental breakdown in six days. You're taking these people who are incredibly mentally damaged, Mm -hmm. like, at super high risk already, and you're incarcerating them for, like, 20 fucking years. And, like, you're mad that they, like, return to prison. Yeah. Like, no fucking shit, dog.
0: Well, especially (sighs) because, like, while they're in, like, there's no programs for them to you know deal with their issues get a better education learn a skill so you can become a productive member of society when you leave
1: yeah and then they talk about too that it says um genuine and meaningful prisoner and justice criminal justice reform is unlikely to be advanced by persons who themselves are captives of power correctional environments which is so fucking important because like we like expect these people to like be prisoners and then like be advocates and like that's not their job yeah their job is just to get through all of the trauma and shit that they have gone through And, like, their job is to just survive. Yeah. Like, it is not their responsibility. Like, they are too close to the situation. They just need to worry about themselves. Like, real prison reform needs to come from people like us who, like, don't have connections to the prison environment. You know what I mean? Like, I've never been incarcerated. Like, I probably never will be incarcerated. But, like, I am someone who can be an advocate for them because I'm not in that situation. Like, I can. You know what I mean? Like, I have those resources. And, like, that's... One of the few things I actually agree with them on, because like, amen to that.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I love everything you just said. I'm just trying really hard to not rant about marginalized groups and being advocates for things. So like, please move on before I get on another soapbox. Yeah, I
1: have fucking like 25 <laughs> years of fucking stuff I could yell about in connection to this. So like, I feel that.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm trying really hard not to get on a soapbox.
1: Yep. And then kind of like the last thing they really touch on is just like it needs to be acknowledged that like psychology and the, like the work that we do can have like meaningful effects. And like people should yeah. listen to it because like it actually like we do know what we're talking about. Weirdly enough,
0: Weird, it's almost like you uh, spent a lot of money and a lot of hours studying all of the things
1: right like crazy it's like we actually know what we're talking about weird yeah crazy how that works
0: maybe we as a society should start listening to people who are professionals in their field instead of
1: fucking beautiful fucking
0: dumbasses that are not part of the field
1: (coughs) (laughs) anyways we're touching on a lot of Topics that just like anti-vax just like popped in my head when you said that
0: i was trying really hard not to go there but like my brain also went there so
1: i'm glad that we're the same person we really are okay so this is the last study i promise oh my god we're gonna end this with mis- <laughs> uh, mr conahan and mr mcfarland um so this is revisiting the Stanford prison experiment can c- could a participant self-selection have led to the cruelty um so I'm kind of just going to, like, skim through their abstract before we get too into this so you kind of get the idea of, like, what is going on. Um, Okay. So, the authors investigated whether students who selectively volunteer for a study of prison life possess dispositions associated with behaving abusively. So, essentially, they're trying to see, do shitty people sign up for shitty situations? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And then they said, um, students were recruited for a psychological study of prison life using a virtually identical newspaper ad as used in the Stanford Prison Experiment. And then, we'll touch on this more, but volunteers for the prison study scored significantly higher on measures of abuse-related dispositions of aggressiveness, authoritarianism, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and social dominance, and scored lower on empathy and altruism. Um, And then they kind of say that they you know think that their interpretation is it matters more about the person in the situation than rather just the situation so like zimbardo is very like it is only the situation the situation can override all of who you are as a person and they're kind of like no no
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean we see that with like every person with a traumatic past like i think we've talked about this before where Like, yes, a lot of serial killers have something in their past where they had a traumatic brain injury or they were abused or they had this, that, and the other shitty situation. But that doesn't mean that every person that does that is going to become a serial killer. Like, a lot of, like, yes, a lot of it is situational, but a lot of it is based on your personality and how you deal with it. I have had six head injuries
1: and I am not a serial killer. Case in point. (laughs) I've had way more than that and I am not a serial killer. Sorry, I was like wrestling with something There was an actual hesitation. I was just like checking a text from my mom. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. I've been using a laser
0: pointer to keep the demonic cat away from us. <laughs> so I have also been doing things while we've been recording this.
1: Okay. So, as a reminder, uh, this is kind of Summed up in like a sentence, how uh, Zimbardo and Haney and all them like feel about the experiment? As mm-hmm. so I said, uh, the value—this is Zimbardo's own words—the um, value of the Sanford prison experiment resided in demonstrating the evil that good people can readily and in- be readily induced into doing to other good people within the context of socially approved rules, rules and norms, legitimizing ideology and ins- ideology and institutional support. So what he's saying. Anyone can be roped into being a bad person. No. Um, so. First of all. No. Um, but crazily enough. Actually since the Sanford prison experiment came out. This like. Situ- it's called the situationalist um, approach. Mm-hmm. Which essentially is that the situation matters more than the person. Yeah. That's the thing um, I
0: talked about at the beginning of the. He was trying to figure out if it was situational or dispositional.
1: Exactly. Um, and. Actually, the SPE's, like, results that it was situational are actually, like, they, they've never really been questioned. Like, there's actually not a lot of research that goes against it. Like, even looking through, like, there's really, like, they're not wrong. Like, there generally is not a lot of research that has ever, like, really looked at it. Or, like, said, like, yes, that is wrong or yes, yeah. that is right. Um, However, in 1989, a guy named Stubb. Um, Stubb. <laughs> looked into uh, 20th century, like, genocides and mass killing. So he was actually looking at something, like, completely different. Yeah. Um, But he found that young men with cruelty-related dispositions often self-select to join groups. So he was looking at more, like, the Nazi SS, like, that type of thing. But he found that um, the people who volunteer for those, like, positions are, like, already not good people, basically. Um, Which is pretty, like, you know... It's not unexpected. Um, so that kind of, like, peaked th- these researchers' interest was kind of like, oh, because this, like, research was just done. I think this was done, it was a little while ago, but it was, like, 2007. So okay. it's, like, decently re- recent. Yeah. Um, So that kind of, like, spiked their interest. So they were kind of like, hmm... So essentially, what they did is they took out literally, like word for word, the exact same ad as the Stanford Prison Experiment. They just changed like the money offered to like be more accurate. So like, because like back then it was like
0: dollars a day doesn't entice people anymore. I think they
1: changed it like to like seventy five dollars a day. Okay. Uh, yeah, they did. Um, and so what they did is they picked like a bunch of different like places to run this. I think they were all like universities and stuff, really, but like. So, they picked, like, their population, and they picked, like, a couple of different places, and they ran um, two ads. So, they either ran the exact same ad as the Stanford Prison Experiment with, like, the money adjusted, mm-hmm. or they ran the exact same ad, but they just took out the prison life part of it. So, essentially, said all the same things. It just didn't mention prison specifically. Okay. And they wanted to see who volunteered for the one that mentioned prison and who volunteered for the one that did not mention prison right was essentially the gist um so they um sorry i was just trying to like find my place yeah you're good um because they kind of talk on like something else that i'll touch on in just a second uh yeah, so like I said they were trying to see uh whether male students who responded to the ad um differed from those recruited with the same ad minus prison life. Um and then they said uh the process of self-selection usually results in participants who are psychologically ready to be induced. So if several of the group already share these tendencies, they may well influ- intensify each other's like readiness to act abusively. Okay. So essentially they're saying like the people who self-select for this like are more likely you know what i mean like it'd be really easy for these people already to be like abusive prone and like to influence others and they also said it doesn't really matter um whether they're volunteering they said select which makes sense they said self-selection doesn't really matter in the sense that they don't know if they're going to be prisoners or guards because the same type of people are going to volunteer for both because like prisoners need to be vicious and abusive just as just as much as guards do if not more so, like, that part wasn't really a... Uh, like I said, prisoners and guards have a very similar attitude set, mindset, etc. So, like, that doesn't influence, really, like, self-selection. Because, like, the same kind of people are going to self-select for both. Right. That was really all I was saying. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, kind of, like, what the results of the city were. And then I'm going to backtrack and kind of explain what they were looking for. Because I feel like it'll just kind of make more sense. If I say all of the parts about the study at one time. So kind of like I said, they sent out those two articles. They wanted to see who responded to both. Like what are the different kinds of people that responded to both articles? So funny enough, um, they actually, uh, so they sent this to six state supported universities, three in each Kentucky and Tennessee, and they were each selected to receive one of the two advertisements. Um, So like, in each university, they would, like, essentially, like, pick a university and then they would pick, like, two subgroups within that university. And one subgroup would get, like, one ad and one subgroup would get a different one. Okay. Anyways. So, um, they, you know, whatever, were offered money, all that jazz. Um, and then they talk about kind of just, like, all of the different, you know, like, inventories and stuff they made them take, uh, which are... Not really that interesting. It's just kind of a bunch of different inventories that measure all of the things that we're going to talk about later. Um, So after two weeks, um, they had gotten 61 applications for the psychological study, but literally like none for the prison study. Uh Um, It literally took them like six weeks to even get 30 applications total. I'm talking about for all six universities. It took them like six. It was like eight weeks. To get 30 applications for the prison one. That's wild. Like enough that they could even like look at it. Yeah. And they were kind of just like, um, our difficulty in getting volunteers for the study of prison life kind of suggests that the three words were sufficient enough to make most people not volunteer. Right. Um. So what the fuck was happening in the 70s? And what the fuck is wrong with y'all? Because <laughs> nowadays we are smart enough not to volunteer for prison
0: life. I was going to say, this is post experiment. So they're probably like, no, I'm not doing it also the 70s was a very political time that is and i'm sure a lot of the boys were i mean i actually can almost say this with confidence a lot of the boys were motivated by that whole like fuck the big man mentality because when they were asked if they wanted to be a prisoner or a guard every single one of them said prisoner because they didn't want to be part of the
1: establishment they didn't want to be the man yeah exactly Man holding other people down, except so they like, obviously very much did. Right, they really enjoyed no, it. No, they three hundred percent became the man. <laughs> <laughs> we can all, became the thing that you that's didn't. the moral is we can all really become the man. <laughs> the, <laughs> that that potential to be the man is within all of us. I think the moral is don't
0: <laughs> don't sign up for shit like actually please do sign up for shit like this. But like yeah, don't you don't, tell these people that don't try to fight against being something because then you're going to become the thing i.e myself with my mother
1: this is not philosophy class i swore that i was not going to become my mother and here i am (laughs) i love you mom luckily my mother is wonderful and her nickname is mother Teresa, so it's not really a concern (laughs) i mean my mother is also wonderful i just your mother is wonderful
0: (laughs) you know i was young and fucking Everybody hates their parents when they're young, and I was like, "I'm never gonna be like my mom." And then, like, occasionally I'll determined to be a lie. (laughs) She, sidebar. Uh, I don't remember what specifically I said, but we were all like in the hospital room, and like I said something, and my mom literally whipped around and was like, "How did that feel?" I was like, "I hated it.
1: Hated all of it." (laughs) Um, so before we talk about like the results, results, um, I'm gonna talk about kind of like what they were even looking at. Um, so they run in one of the study, the principle of interactionism. So we talked about like situationalism, which is like the situation is more, um, like overwhelming than your personality. Um, so interactionism is that behavior is a product of the interaction of the person in the situation, um, and that your personal disposition influences, your like behavior um so yeah um like it also that's kind of what self-selection comes into like is saying kind of like we like prime ourselves for like the experiences we have like we choose the situations we think that we will do better in and we choose not to participate in ones that we don't think we'd be good at um which is just kind of common sense um but they found people who um self-select are likely like when you volunteer for something like you're likely like you already know kind of what's going to be expected of you. Like you kind of know like the behaviors that you're probably going to have to do. And you can like, you tend to like reinforce other people in that situation. Cause you're like, yeah, this is how we're supposed to behave. Like I did, I did this because I knew how I was supposed to behave in the situation. You should also behave this way. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool stuff. Um, <laughs> So they, um, the the like five things that they were like looking for. So like when they brought these people in and like were measuring them, they were kind of looking for like four things. Um, so they were looking for their aggression. Um, so they actually had them do self-report and peer report for these things. So like not only did they get the person's own insight and in how they are, they got how like the person's like friends view them. Yeah. Um, so like they're a little more like accurate as well so like props to them for that um so obviously they're looking for aggression um they looked for narcissism they looked for empathy um they looked for social dominance which is kind of like if you're in a group how much do you want to be like the the man right um they looked for right-wing authoritarianism um which is that's wildly specific yeah it's like a two-part thing so they're essentially looking for authoritarian submission so like you are very like submittive to like submissive to authority and then they look for authoritarian aggression um which is like aggression but like socially sanctioned so like no no that makes sense nazi ss (laughs) uh is a good example Um, And then they looked for Machiavellianism, which is the tendency to, like, not trust others, to want to, like, manipulate and lie to them, to, like, treat them as tools, not have compassion. Good old Machiavelli. Uh, But, yeah, so those are kind of, like, the main things that they, like, looked for. Yeah. And got my papers ready. (laughs) Um, They found out basically every single person who volunteered for the study on prison life were all higher on all five of like the, everything but empathy they were high on <laughs> so all of the bad that things checks out <laughs> <laughs> um but uh people who responded to the one without prison life tended to be much lower on all of these things so essentially the shittier people signed up for the one that mentioned prison life um which like they were like yeah we're not surprised. L- they literally said it's completely unsurprising. <laughs> um Which like they kind of connect us to also basic common sense. They're like we yeah. all make judgments before joining groups like and engaging in activities whether or not they they fit our personality and like values. So mm-hmm. like of course like we're going to volunteer for things that like relate more to us. um, But then they kind of talk about how this like is kind of common sense but like no one has ever really connected it to the Stanford prison experiment because like, yeah, it makes sense. Like all of these people responded to an ad that said that they were going to participate in prison life and whether or not they were portrayed as stable, they still were, they were not measured on these things specifically. You know what I mean? So whether or not they seemed, you know, stable in their emotions doesn't mean they couldn't also still be stable in their emotions and authoritarian. Right. Like those don't necessarily have like a connection. So like they kind of, you know have blatantly ignored and said like the whole time like oh it was the situation it was the situation that did it the situation can overwrite anyone but they didn't really ever look to see like what kind of people did we choose. Yeah. Like just because you're stable emotionally does not mean that you're not authoritarian or like you're not you know
0: Machiavellian or just because you present well doesn't mean you're not going to exhibit very narcissistic very emotionally abusive uh, traits later.
1: Controlling people are just as good at grooming allies as they are victims. <coughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> just saying. Not that we're uh, naming names or
1: anything. But I will. Oh, so I, like, yeah. You kn- you listen up, sir. Thank <laughs> you. Um <laughs> Um yeah, so they're essentially saying, like, we can't really reproduce the Stanford Prison Experiment, uh, but I think we'd find... Uh, it's a certain kind of people that signed up for it. Um, they also did talk about, which was, like, kind of wild, I didn't actually realize this happened. So in 2001, the BBC actually essentially redid the Stanford Prison Experiment. hmm I didn't know that. Um, so they did an eight-day prison simulation... But they formed it, formed, filmed it. Words are hard. They um, like, so they like, t- like showed the whole thing on like live TV. Okay. Um, but they didn't really get the same reaction. Um, so they kind of had like, they did t- like a couple of things differently. So first of all, they had it where um, one prisoner could be promoted to a guard on the third day. But after the third day. No one was allowed to, like, change positions. Okay. So they said for the first, like, three day, like, the first, like, two days up until that, like, third day when someone was chose, every person, like, acted just, like, as an individual. Okay. Like, they were, like, not acting like prisoners, guards. Like, they were just acting like their own, like, just yeah, regular just of, like, people. And then, but they said after, after that, like, permeability, like, closed and, like, mm-hmm. there was no longer that option, they immediately, like, formed, like, Prisoners, guards, and like became like a tight knit group,
0: okay, like against
1: the others. But they said that the guards, that while the prisoners did this, like they did joint group actions against the guards, developed like in group identification, like they, you know, supported each other and tested, like trusted each other. Um, in the BBC prison study, the guards never developed a grouped identity and they never became abusive. Um, They said that they were reluctant to even, like, give, like, the the basic things they told them they had to do, they they were reluctant to, like, even do those. And they said that they lost control of the prisoners, like, almost immediately. Um, But, like, they said... I mean, you have to consider, like, a societal aspect of that, too, because, like,
0: BBC, they're probably pulling from, you know, like, UK, Ireland...
1: Yeah, there's a lot of cultural to that. It's also a lot of... I mean, they're literally being filmed on live television. So, like, obviously, they're not going to be as
0: There's a lot more accountability for what you're doing because you're, like, being filmed.
1: Well, and they also... They actually studied the people's, like, traits. And all of them scored, like, low. And, like, the five things that they were looking for here, like, those people on that study all scored really low on them. So, like, they weren't very abusive people to, like, even start with. Um... Yeah. And so they do say, like, it does have some context because, like, like they said, because others are similar to others, similar to ourselves are more likely to select the same situations. Together, we mutually reinforce the same qualities and behaviors that led to us to select the situations initially. So, like, it's kind of like both sense. Like, they're not wrong, even in, like, the Stanford Prison Experiment, like. Yeah, like, they probably reinforced each other. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you all selected to be there for the same reason. Yeah. So, like, you're going to reinforce each other. But at the same time, like, they can, like, you know, the Stanford Prison Experiment in Zimbardo, like, he just doesn't look at, like, he kind of just has this idea of, like, this is what happened. And, like, no one's ever questioned it. And, like, no one's ever really fought back against it. And it's, like, when you do, you find so quickly that it doesn't hold up. Like, it doesn't hold water. Yeah. And, like, it's so frustrating that no one ever, like... No one has really, like, pushed back against that boundary. Hmm. I hate
0: it. Yeah. This whole whole thing has just been a wild
1: fucking ride. I have a lot of things to say about this. And that is why I've pushed off this episode for so fucking long. I don't think you understood until we sat down how bad this was going to be.
0: Yeah. This was a roller coaster.
1: (laughs) Uh, But yeah, now you guys understand why I've been pushing it off for so long. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Because like, wow, holy shit, I could still talk for longer. And I'm going to stop myself because I need to shower. (laughs) I'm disgusting. (laughs) uh,
0: Social media. You guys know about our Facebook page. Uh, Twitter is at Ann Murders. And follow us on Instagram at Bitches and Murders Podcast. We made a Facebook group called bitches and, and murders, murders podcast. podcast um so come in there show share your spooky memes or like your fucked up memes or cases you want us to cover whichever uh shoot us an email at bn murders podcast at gmail.com donate to our patreon we can be found under bitches and murders we will love you forever if you donate to our patreon um i feel like i'm forgetting things oh you now twitch youtube Yikes on bikes! All of the th- so much social media, <laughs> so many things.
1: We are overwhelmed, but
0: uh stay spooky. But I don't even know
1: how. <laughs> but not so spooky that you support Philip Zimbardo or these outdated ideals. Stay
0: spooky, but not so spooky that you circle jerk Zimbardo and, and Milgram. <laughs>
1: Stay spooky, but not so spooky that you are. Do you support prisons? Don't Stay don't support prisons. But not so spooky
0: that you are a narcissist, uh, controlling uh, uh,
1: Machiavellian. Machiavellian. Uh, it's just such a fun word to say. <laughs> uh, right, th- right wing authoritarian. I I can look at a few of you. Not. I need you to stop. <laughs> not that fucking spooky. <laughs> And uh, I hope you enjoyed this very long science rant. You're always asking for them, but I don't know if you were ready. I don't know if you were ready for all of this. I know. I
0: love when people are like, oh, we love the science episodes. Do, Do more you? science.
1: <laughs> well, my we brain more hurts. science.
0: You asked for this and we brought it. <laughs> Do you know how much work this was? A lot.
1: <laughs> my brain hurts. Do you know how many articles I have to read for my dissertation?
0: Guys, she printed like 500 pages worth of research for her dissertation yesterday, and I'm scared.
1: This is just like the start, and I have to like read them all and have them all analyzed and like write a paper about it by like the end of the week. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm mentally okay. I'm doing okay. Anyways, keep it spooky.
0: Woo! Woo! And cue music.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's not our theme music.